That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Jake, why do I feel like we've done this before? Because we have, but nevertheless, um, um, <laughs> here we are. So um, uh, here we praise are recording God. for Lent four. So we just listeners recorded the intro to this uh, episode and then had technical difficulties, so we're restarting. So uh, we're just none of this is fresh. We're just trying to make it sound fresh. <laughs> but how is that different from every week, Jake? It's pretty, mm, you know, just the indeed. gospel. Every, every indeed, time we do this. Same uh, old. It's just the same old song. So same old song. Ta-da. So we're. We're we're in the middle of. Uh, you guys are going to miss all the witty repartee we had in the first attempt. Mm. You'll just have to imagine how great it was. Mm. Anything we should rehash? We talked about how good you look, but that's sort of everybody knows that. Mm. Absolutely, I've got that. Uh, you know that mid Lenten glow, um, mm. and so just much like Moses, but nonetheless, you know, moving <laughs> forward. And so I wonder uh, what that veil was on your face. <laughs> now I know to protect your eyes. So, yeah, I, anyway. I cannot bear to look upon thee. Yeah. Well, so, but, so it is Lent. Mm-hmm. We are feeling, uh, hopefully feeling appropriately um, connected with our mortality, the brevity of life, the suffering that surrounds us. Uh, and uh, and I will say, you know, one little thing is people are, are always into giving things up or taking things on from Lent. And um, they think it's going to make them righteous and holy. And sometimes it does, but not in the way they expect. What it usually does is it makes them aware of how, um, really how much they don't like giving things up or taking things on. And then you realize, uh, you really are a sinner and life has enough suffering as it is, but there you are. That's what Lent Mm. is supposed to teach you anyways. Yeah. Well, I, you know, and I think, uh, I think the readings here are just, uh, they're really good. They, um, uh, for this week, especially the Old Testament and um, and uh, the Gospel reading, which we'll, we have a lot of funny jokes about that. So, but uh, um, uh, first, cha- Sam- our readings today are First Samuel sixteen verses one through thirteen, and then we have Ephesians chapter five verses eight through fourteen, and then John chapter nine verses one through forty one. So, um, whatever member of the clergy in your parish is reading the Gospel that day, make sure they have a lozenge, and uh, maybe encourage everybody to sit down after verse twenty. You want to distribute V8s to all the congregation. Yeah, You'll want right. to uh, have ushers ready to catch people if they fall down yeah. from uh, just standing too long and locking their knees. It's it's verses 1 through 41. It's a long, long passage. People passage. will be checking their watches. It's um, it's it's a long time. So it's a great story. It's a fantastic story, and you can have a lot of fun preaching it. Uh, yeah. But it's... Um, it is long, so just you know, don't lock your knees. All right, well, so let's let, let's. Uh, we, you want to say something else? No, I was just going to say one of the benefits of uh, re-recording this is that um, I can hone all my thoughts from First Samuel chapter sixteen because I was a little. In. Yeah, I was a little long-winded the last time. Jake so. was like, "Well, if we if we if we go back to Genesis one, <laughs> let's really set the context here." Okay, like, so. <laughs> 
<laughs> so in the ancient Near East, yeah. Anthony Hopkins was there. He played <laughs> Noah. Yeah. So um, no, the, that was um, Russell Crowe. Sorry. Yeah. Anthony Hopkins was Tubal Cain. My bad. Oh, that's right. Um, so anyway, but uh, the, the key thing is that you need to know from first uh, Samuel, just to keep it choice, uh, short, is that our choices are terrible and uh, God has another choice. Well, and, you don't uh, have to keep choice. it that short. You can tell us a little bit about the story, Jake. Okay, well, let me just tell you. one extreme to the other. You got us all, and, uh, and he was of the tribe of Benjamin, and he's the people's choice. And uh, God was like, listen, you don't need to choose a king. I'm your king. And they were like, no, no, no. We want to choose one who's really good looking. We want to looking. pay taxes. That's right. And we want our kids to go to war, and we want to pay big pharma and all of that. Uh, anyway, but... Uh, um, Anyway, Saul, they chose Saul, and um, uh, and Saul um, in the previous chapter uh, does something really horrible. Um, he is told to go and slaughter the Amalekites, and uh, there is a there is a biblical theme running through there as uh, um, Israel represents God's instrument of judgment because the Amalekites, who are the descendants of Esau, they tried to slaughter Israel they when they were news. when they were sojourning in Sinai. And so anyway, um, but we get to this point, and in 15, God tells Saul, hey, kill all the Amalekites. And Saul uh, saves the animals, and he uh, saves the king, and he builds a statue in his name. So, and, and just, uh, to, just to be clear, like, he, he doesn't do what God says. He says, yeah, that's right. God said to kill everybody and to wipe them off the face of the earth, which, again, I realize there's ethical problems. There's just lots of interpretive choices you can make here. We don't have time for it. Let's just get to the point, which is that Saul is like, I think I know better. I'm going to save the animals because these yeah. look like pretty good animals and I can enter them at the rodeo and win some big prizes. And this king, I'll keep him around as like a trophy. Yeah, he's kind of cool. He's fun. He's he's a good. He got some good jokes. So anyway, um, and uh, so Samuel's like, "What the hell did you do?" And he's like, "Hey, man, I was gonna sacrifice these animals anyway." And this guy, he's cool. And uh, and uh, Samuel's like, "Nope." And uh, oh man, you want to read some Game of Thrones stuff? Read First Samuel fifteen. But um, anyway, the <laughs> irony of the ironies is the Amalekites wind up uh, the ones who kill Saul in the end, and uh, the descendants uh, Mordecai winds up to be uh, descent according to. Midrash, um, and Esther winds up uh, to be an Amalekite as well. So um, God has said, like, man, this this is done. And uh, and now what you need to know is this isn't like eternal rejection. This is a rejection from the vocation as king of Israel. And, uh, you know, we've all uh, really screwed things up where uh, maybe you've lost a vocation, but uh, this is a very painful thing. However, it's hard to pick a new king when the current king is still on the throne. Right, which is the problem. And so there's a lot of themes here. You know, Israel having made their choice, first, we want a king. Second, we want Saul as our king. So they've had their chance. And and everybody in your congregation has had their chance to design the life that they thought they wanted. And they've yes. probably all come to a place where they're like, oh, crap, I think I've made a huge mistake, to quote Arrested Development. And so... Uh, God is going to give a new king, but as, as you said, Jake, it's going to—it's not like a clean transition. Saul is going to be around for quite a bit more time, mm-hmm. and David is who's the new king, and we see in this passage gets anointed as king. There's going to be this weird overlapping period, but the main idea um, is that that Samuel, under God's guidance, is going to anoint David as king yeah, in it's Bethlehem. Like a, it's like a beauty pageant that happens here. Yeah, but so. and the one who wins is the one that nobody would have expected. It's mm-hmm. the dark horse, and that mm-hmm. should be the Katy Perry song that you mm-hmm. quote in this sermon. <laughs> uh, they, you know, um, Samuel goes to Bethlehem, uh, and 
God says that Jesse in Bethlehem is going to, one of his sons is the king. And he doesn't, God doesn't tell Samuel which one. And uh, Samuel, it's interesting. Samuel is scared to go because he thinks that Saul will uh, get mad and kill him. Um, when Samuel arrives in the village of Bethlehem, the people are scared of Samuel. Like there's this whole culture of fear that has totally come from Samuel's kind of style of leadership that everybody is is feeling. And uh, and God amazingly gives Saul like his mm. cover. He says, take this heifer with you and mm-hmm. tell people you're just here to sacrifice. It's mm. interesting that God sort of helps Samuel come up with an, a kind of an alibi situation uh, if Saul's secret police gets mad at him. So they go, they invite Jesse and the sons to the sacrifice. And basically the idea is all these guys in the beauty pageant, he said, walk by Samuel and he's supposed to pick one. Samuel thinks it's going to be the you know, the one that looks like Schwarzenegger and then says, no, it's, it's, you know, the next one. And then it's not that one. And finally there's like, there's the last one they'd expect who's out keeping the sheep is David. And, and that's the one. So, and the key verse is <clears throat> Jake. Boy, he was uh ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was <laughs> exactly handsome. the verse about you <laughs> ruddiness. What does yeah. that mean? I always picture, I always picture David's older brothers having lazy eyes. I mean, no problem to anybody <laughs> with lazy eyes. No offense. That's just, no offense. that's just really, or he's got like the, what was that? The blue steel look, you know, but yeah, nonetheless, that's, right. that's not what God was looking at. Um, but the truth well, the, is yeah, yeah, the key ahead. verse that I was really going for Jake <laughs> was, uh, that the Lord looks at the heart. That's right. You, know, uh, uh, you look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, which is one of those things that's sort of like a cheesy, you know, yeah. uh, inspirational poster kind of verse. But it's true. The ways human beings go about things are usually based on superficial external judgments, which are always wrong. And God sees what's inside, which this very much ties into well, uh, the beginning of land and Jesus is teaching about, you know, what's on the inside and what yeah. God sees in the heart and all that sort of stuff. Can I, I just, I do think it's important that we clarify something though, because uh, kind of an evangelical mantra has become sort of like, oh, well, God looks at my heart. He knows my heart. And like, that's, that's not good news. I mean, um, my heart is filled with cholesterol and sin and, um, uh-huh. and is, is dark. What, what this is really getting at is that this is God's choice because, um, because David had faith. And, uh, and, um, and you see that throughout David's life because David sucks as a king too. I mean, um, and it gets bad. It goes from bad to worse, even with David. And, um, and so, um, but, but David's response, you know, when, especially with Bathsheba is not like, well, it's, it was, it was that guy's fault for having a beautiful wife. You know, it was this, you know, kind of the, he repents and you see this throughout David's life is that, um, the faith manifests itself in the form of real repentance. And, uh, and the good news is, is that David will have a greater son, um, and that son will be Jesus. And in Jesus, you are God's choice, uh, despite your wicked heart as well, um, and all of the crap and the ways you've screwed life up as well. Uh, you are God's choice, and nothing can change that. Right. And so the message here is not to preach God chose David because David had a good heart, and so you need to have a good heart too. The message here is that God, what God sees in David's heart is not that deep down he's a good person. What he sees in David's heart is someone who, though a sinner and aware of his sin, will continually um, recognize his sin 
and cast himself again on the mercy of God over mm. and over and over again. Because you're you're very right, Jake. You David is a sinner and he sins spectacularly and his heart does lead him astray. Um, and so, yeah, this isn't a mantra about being a good person deep down. This is about having a heart that um, ultimately, though sinful, will turn back to God again and again, not in righteousness necessarily, but in dependence and that's and right, pleading, pleading for mercy. And that's really the lens by which we begin to read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. Once you were in darkness, but now in the Lord you are in light, a.k.a. Uh, you actually know how dependent you are upon God. That's the whole mm. point of Lent, is not the celebration of our independence and how we've got our acts together, but rather to walk in the light is actually sometimes to realize how far you actually fall short. Um, yeah. And uh, and that is what it is. And that is why Paul is saying, like, sleep or awake, rise from the dead, because to rest in yourself is to um, to be dead. Yeah. And, you know, the, the things here that uh, when we hear this passage in Ephesians 5, works of darkness, works of light, we tend to hear it through very pharisaical kind mm, of uh, mm -hmm. a filter. And we tend to think works of darkness are like the sex, drugs, rock and roll kind of sins and works of light are just going to church more and all that. But the Bible could not be clearer that you can be extremely righteous externally and be a complete hypocrite. So work of darkness is trusting in oneself, whether mm. that means living every day like you're at Burning Man or whether it means like pay, paying your taxes and going to your job and being a good husband and wife and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, being a completely wrapped up in yourself and, and self-reliant in a way that keeps God out. So you can live a quote unquote bad life or a quote unquote good life and still be in right. darkness. Mm. The idea is to wake up and come to a place where no matter what you do, you're trusting in God and resting in him. Um, uh, and so I think it's, it, we, we tend to have, we people have a tendency to moralize a passage like this. Mm -hmm. Light means trusting in Christ. Darkness means trusting in yourself, not necessarily your middle school categories of, of, yeah. uh, good and evil. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. So once we wake up, uh, as Paul, well, I think the reason the lectionary people choose this passage right before the John reading, cause they're like, wake up before you have to, cause you're going to have to pay it. You have to really Gird your loins, wake up, because you're going to get 41 verses of John <laughs> chapter 9 read. So it's like, wake up. Yeah. But it is nice. Christ will shine on you. And then you hear from Ephesians, uh, from St. Paul. And then you hear this reading in John 9, where Jesus is going uh, to do this incredible thing with this uh, this. Yeah. Uh, this man, this blind man. This is, a, this is a really powerful, powerful gospel reading. And it opens with a question that... Um, Everybody who is essentially what you and I would call a theologian of glory asks, and this is the idea that somehow uh, people are blessed by their surrounding circumstances, by what we see. And so the disciples are cru cru cruising along and they see this blind man and they ask the question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You know what I mean? Who, wh where's the karma in this situation is what's being asked here. And yeah. uh, Jesus responds by saying, neither. <laughs> And this is the, every time, um, th this is the default human position. Mm -hmm. When we see someone and something bad has happened to them, we automatically think they did something to deserve it. Mm -hmm. uh, and we also think that if good things happen to you, it's because you worked hard and, uh, you know, made good choices. We're very much in a meritocratic sort of way of seeing the world. Uh, uh, you know, the universe will 
respond to what you put out into the universe. It's that same kind of understanding. Mm. And so they see this guy blind and they can't imagine a universe where he's just blind. It must have be because either he or his parents did something wrong so that something. And if you don't think that you think this way, think about the last time you had some sort of major crisis in your life, um, <clears throat> some catastrophe, some reversal. Um, maybe you're in it now. And there, I bet you there was some part of you that was like, what did I do to deserve this? Mm. Or you said to yourself, I didn't do anything to deserve this. Or you said, I bet this is because of that thing that I did. Um, yeah. And we always um, go to that type of thinking. We may not believe that that is a true way of looking at the world, but deep down, we tend to see the world that way. Right. And this passage is essentially about the end of that kind of thinking, that end of that kind of relationship with God. Mm. Jesus says categorically, mm. neither this man mm. nor his parents sinned. So your whole... Mm -hmm. um, karma-based understanding of the world is completely out of the picture. Jesus just brushes it aside. And then he says that he was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him, which is an incredible thing to say. Um, and we're going to see what happens. Uh, and he uses this kind of blindness and sight thing to talk about night and day and who can see things. And this whole, there's this like a literal issue of being literally blind and literally able to see, and also kind of a spiritual metaphorical sense as well, which yeah. you're going to see when, 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 um, when yeah. this man and Jesus begin to get in trouble for this healing. Yeah. I mean, I think Jesus, I mean, I love, he spits, you know, and puts mud in the guy's eye. Um, interesting way of healing, but, uh, that yes. is, that is what we are driving here towards is, is the, um, the, um, the miracle illustrates the spiritual. The outward sign is illustrating the uh, the inward spiritual truth, uh, because what happens is is that this man is brought in, you know, and it's kind of one of those things. I kind of picture this, and uh, you know, when somebody all of a sudden um, is in recovery and is doing great, and everybody's like was used to Bill being the like life of the party, or maybe you know Johnny being the fat one, and all of a sudden, they, and everybody's like, "Wait, what happened to you?" And so they're like, they this is kind of, you're not the blind guy anymore in the corner. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. you know, there's a, there is a transformation that Christ brings. And, and this oftentimes happens in the Christian life. People are like, wait a minute, you're like, you're what? And so, uh, and they bring him before the Pharisees. They bring him before those who can see uh, physically, but are completely blind spiritually. Yeah. And I think, by the way, there, so there's a lot, um, there's a, there's a big, plot reveal in verse 9 verse 14 we didn't know until verse 14 that this whole healing took yep. place on the sabbath so this is masterfully crafted by john he's kind of telling this healing story it's great it's amazing mm -hmm. and then it's like doom it was sabbath when jesus mm -hmm. made the mud and opened his eyes so making the mud violates the sabbath yep. healing violates the sabbath jesus has done this miracle in as many ways as he possibly can to visibly and uh, intentionally break the way people understood keeping Sabbath. You know, God said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, but he didn't give specific instructions, just said, did no work, but to do, do, do no work. But people made all these rules about what that meant. And Jesus and, intentionally breaks them. And he, he does that because he is demonstrating that he is the Sabbath. Right. Um, this and you see this in other other places in the gospel, but Jesus is intentionally doing this to demonstrate that he is he is the whole world's ultimate, like not only the light, but he's also uh, their Sabbath. And so, uh, but they come at him, um, they come at this poor blind guy uh, like a ton of bricks. And so, uh, and what happens next, 
Aaron? Uh, well, Jake, uh, then they are asking him, uh, you know, so they, they're interviewing the formerly blind, now sighted man. How did you get well? And he says, well, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, now I see. And the Pharisees, who are the ones that are going to be really interested in keeping the law and following the rules, say in there, and they're based in the same way of seeing the world as the disciples are, which is that karma is the deal. You get what you deserve. And if Jesus broke the Sabbath, if he broke God's rules, there's no way that God can be doing good things through him. So they say mm-hmm. to this man, um, uh, this man is not from God because he doesn't observe the Sabbath. They're on the same system of credits and, and debits, of merits mm-hmm. and demerits uh, that the disciples were on in the beginning. And they can't imagine that a man who breaks the law, that good things could come through him. And so, so they challenge the man with this, uh, but, the, but they have to grapple with the fact that this guy was blind and now can see. So it's kind of a problem. So they ask uh, the blind man, uh, and, uh, and he, he says, you know, look, he's just a prophet. What I, I mean, he did the thing, so I yeah. can't argue for him. And then they bring the parents in, yeah. and they, they grill them about, and they're like, he is our son, he was born blind. And you need to understand, too, that like, I mean, when they come after the parents, um, they threaten like when they're like they're going to throw them out of the synagogue. What this is, is we're throwing you out of your like your like town connection. Like um, that's that's what this is. We are going to eliminate all of your friendships, all of your family. You will be you will be isolated. This is the threat. And they panic. And I love how they. Like the loving parents they are, they chuck yeah. their son right back under the bus. <laughs> so, All we can uh, say is, yes, he was blind, and he is our son. Anything else, you know. He's old uh, enough to answer for himself. Leave yeah, us alone. we're pleading the fifth. You talk to him. So they call the man back in. Um, uh, and I like to imagine it like in Law & Order SVU, like it's it's Olivia Benson and Ice-T maybe <laughs> grilling him, like a good cup, bad cup. But anyways, uh, they they say, give glory to God which is another way of saying, swear to tell the whole truth, not, nothing but the truth, so yeah. help you God. It's that sort of statement. Give glory to God, glorify him by telling the truth in verse 24. We know this man is a sinner, they say. Again, this is their whole deserving or undeserving kind of karma view of the world. Um, he's a sinner because he broke the rules and therefore nothing good can come of him. By the way, this is the same thinking in the, none other than the beloved um, Maria von Trapp played by Ooh. Julie Andrews where ah, when she's great illustration when, when she's dancing with Christopher Plummer in the gazebo in that soft filter she says she sings somewhere in my youth or childhood I must have done that's something right. good and that's the kind of thinking uh if something if something good happens to me it's because I did good if something bad happens to me I did bad <laughs> if Jesus performed if Jesus broke the sabbath there's no way he could so that you can sense the Pharisees just sort of turning themselves over in knots here, the, the the Jewish folks here, the leaders, because they they can't understand someone who, in their eyes, breaks the law and yet good things happen. So they say, "Yeah, you have I to admit, know. blind guy, he's a sinner, right?" Yeah. And then the classic response: "I don't know whether he's a sinner or not." He's like, "I'm not going to get in your theological debate, but I yeah. do know that I was blind, and now I can see." Can I tell you a funny? So one time uh, I was um, at a wedding and. Uh, 
I was there and the choir, some of the choir members were invited and there was um, one of the, we were sitting at a table and one of the choir members kept like grilling me about Jesus. Um, he was hired for the wedding. And so, and then there was another guy who was an amazing, amazing singer, but was a good old boy. And we were talking about Jesus and we were getting in all the philosophical debates about Jesus. And I finally looked over to this other member of the choir, this good old boy. And I said, so what do you think? And he was like, well, all I know is there's this guy named Jesus. He died. And then on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And I have to deal with that. And, uh, <laughs> and I just like, I like, I feel like that's what this guy is saying. Like, I mean, I, I'm not quite sure what you guys are talking about, but literally I was blind uh, 20 minutes ago and now I see, and yeah. uh, we have to contend with that. And by the way, it's an incredible miracle. It, to someone that was congenitally blind, his brain would not have formed the pathways. Like it's just he Jesus would have had to rewire because it's not just light hitting your yeah. retina and your brain being able to transform that into images. It's the whole sort of physical composition of your brain to be able to even process. <clears throat> like he doesn't he's heard the word person, but he doesn't know what a person looks like. And so to connect the image to the idea, anyway, it's just an incredible thing. And so for him to say, I was blind now, I see like, that's unbelievable. And so the guy's like, I don't know whether he's a sinner. I don't know if he went to the right seminary or not. I don't know if he's, uh, if his, uh, if his orders are in uh, good standing, uh, with the Bishop. I don't know if he's, uh, properly certified. I don't know if he has enough insurance, but I do know I was blind and now I see. And, and so then they, yeah, go ahead. Well, they grill him. I mean, they're like, well, listen, we, we follow Moses. You know what I mean? We are the, the followers of tit for tat, you know? And, uh, and the guy, the guy says like, here's the astonishing thing. You do not know where Jesus comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. And uh, then he begins to play it back at them. Like God obviously doesn't listen to sinners, but he does listen to the one who worships and obeys his will, um, which is Jesus manifested in flesh. Um, and never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person that was blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And uh, they just, it just rubs them. They will not confess it. They are actually, what's being illustrated here is the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it just shows that if you have a understanding of the world where bad things only happen to bad people and good things open to ha only happen to good people, like if you're basically on a moralistic view of the world, you will be really disappointed in Christianity. It ultimately won't work for you because it just, it gives away the store. Everybody gets grace and it's hugely offensive, but that's, that's how this thing works. Um, and, uh, and, you know, at the end you have this blind man who can now see, but he represents kind of this physical blindness. He's the one that sees Jesus for who he really is and mm. believes or the ones that can actually see and have been able to see their whole lives. They are the ones who are blind at the end. And there's kind of this ironic twist. I will say another little thing at the beginning of the story is that, um, there is a movement in many churches that they want to say that you, for, in order for you to unlock the action of God in your life, it depends on how much faith you have, that your faith is the magic quarter in the vending machine that dispenses God's grace. And I just want to underline in this story that this man has no real display of faith <laughs> prior to his healing. All he is doing is sitting there being blind and asking people for money. Um, and they'll say, well, yes, but he showed obedience and that he got up and, you know, went and washed his 
face in the pool of Siloam. And it's like, wait a second. He, Jesus just put mud on his face. Of course he's going to wash it off. Yeah. Like he didn't need to be told to do it. There's, there's no, it's not some incredible obedience to go wash the spit mud that somebody mm-hmm. just put on your face. And well, and you see this at the end that Jesus's word actually creates the faith uh, that the man has to believe. It's not some sub- right. sort of substance he has because there he's sitting driven out. I mean, he has now been ostracized from his community. And uh, Jesus rolls up and says, do you believe in the son of man? And he's like, well, who is he, sir? Give me a break. <laughs> That's what I would have said if I was Jesus. Yeah. But anyway, but yeah. he's like, um, <laughs> Jesus said I'm to right him. right here. Have you been paying attention at all? Doi. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> Jesus says to him, you have seen him and the one speaking with you is he. And this creates the faith. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And then mm. Jesus tells you the whole point of his coming on one level. Um, it's a it's a little bit of a reversal. Well, not a reversal. It's a it's it's a heavier hand than uh, John three sixteen and seventeen. I came into the world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see. Uh, those of us who were just wondering if God was ever present. Uh, there's my savior, and uh, those who do see may become blind. Hey, I'm basically okay. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, I think, uh, you're, you are okay, Jake. I just want, want you to know that. <laughs> Between you and me. So, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> that's right. Uh, but, so I think, you know, if you're going to preach this, I think, um, or at least for, is if, if I were going to preach this, I think, you know, what I have, um, typically talked about is this ending of the kind of deserving equation Mm. and calculus that we all do that the passage goes to great pains to show that this man doesn't really deserve the healing jesus does it in a way that intentionally breaks the rules and that god it's it's just the end of that whole kind of thing and the entrance of of pure grace um and and it's all a gift and uh, as as capen says um even judgment is a gift uh, judgment is the last thing. Um, Robert Farrah Cabin says, judgment is the last thing that God can give someone who won't take anything else from him. And, uh, you know, so mm-hmm. it's, it's all gift. And, uh, and uh, Jesus's pres- presence reveals a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, judgment, <clears throat> judgment is a, you know, it's, it's a hard thing that, he, that Jesus says I came, uh, for judgment, but, uh, he's saying basically, I came to reveal what is already true. It's That's like, right. I'm trying to show you that the people that you think can see are actually blind. That's it's right. It's not like when we think of judgment, we think of like, you know, what what people did to you in middle school. You know, they judged you and they That's made right. fun of you or whatever. I'm talking about middle school a lot in this episode. And so I feel like it's revealing something I need to talk about with my therapist. But that's neither here nor there. Um, uh, but yeah judgment is to is to show what's actually there which you know is the that originally is the idea like a judge a good judge is supposed to tell you well is this person guilty or not guilty um a good judge is supposed to come to the truth and so jesus is saying i basically come to reveal what's actually true Mm -hmm. um and uh, what is true is that somebody like this blind man who would have been seen as an outcast and sinner is actually beloved and receives healing through no deserving of his own. 
And the people that are very much into a system of deserving, where only good people get good things, only good people can do good things, that whole system is one of blindness. So Jesus, when he says, I came in order for judgment, he's what he's saying is, I didn't come to make some people feel bad. Um, what I came to do is to reveal what's actually true about their hearts and about the world. Absolutely. That's a great place to end. Yep. So judge your people. They will thank you for it. Just kidding. Right. <laughs> Just tell the truth and tell them that, that uh, karma is dead and Jesus is Lord. Amen. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later will the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. And we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.